Hello there. Thank you for joining me for an exciting episode of the Paralegal Voice on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Jill Francisco, your new co-host of the Paralegal Voice. Don't worry, Carl Morrison is still hosting his regular scheduled program with you. I am joining the team to provide additional content and episodes to the show. Now, just a little note about me. I'm an advanced certified paralegal and currently serving as the NALA president. I have over 22 years paralegal experience, and I am so very excited to share my knowledge and enthusiasm for the paralegal profession with you. Before we begin, we would like to thank our sponsors. Today's sponsor, Legal Inc., makes it easy for paralegals to digitally automate tasks like business formations, corporate filings, and registered agent services nationwide. Visit LegalInc.com forward slash podcast to create your free account. We would also like to thank CourtFiling.net. E-file court documents with ease in California, Illinois, Indiana, and Texas. To learn more, visit courtfiling.net to take advantage of a free 30-day trial. Thank you to NALA. NALA is a professional association for paralegals providing continuing education, voluntary certification, and professional development programs. NALA has been a sponsor of the Paralegal Voice since our very first show. And also, thank you to ServeNow. ServeNow is a nationwide network of trusted pre-screened process servers. Work with the most professional process servers who have experience with high-volume serves who embrace technology and understand the litigation process. Visit ServeNow.com to learn more. I am so excited to have Chris Jettison, an attorney and chair of the American Bar Association Standing Committee on Paralegals, as my guest of my inaugural episode. Mr. Jennison has previously served as an approval commissioner 2016-2017 and has been a member of the Standing Committee on Paralegals since 2017. Professionally, Chris is an employment and labor law attorney advisor with the Federal Aviation Administration. Chris, thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely. Excited to be here. I've asked Chris to join me today to discuss a couple of hot topics right now in the paralegal profession. The first being the ABA consideration of removing the term legal assistant from the ABA definition of legal assistant slash paralegal, and the second, changes to guidelines for the approval of paralegal education programs, enabling them to utilize online video classes in their curriculum. Chris, before we get into the meat of our discussion, please tell the audience a little more about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the uh, best place to start to give a quick synopsis of how I ended up in my uh, my role as the chair of the standing committee uh, is that I got involved in the American Bar Association when I was in law school. Um, you don't have uh, a lot of law students who are deeply involved in the ABA, but I was very fortunate to be a, uh, an officer of the ABA's law student division. And through my experience there, I uh, was fortunate to be on the ABA's board of governors as a third-year law student. So I served on the board from 2015 to 2016. And in that role, I was also a liaison from the board to the Standing Committee on Paralegals. When I showed up at the Standing Committee on Paralegals meetings, they were totally shocked that a law student was there and that a board representative was there because in the uh, past prior to me, the representatives just didn't come to the meetings. And I figured if I was going to be a board member and be a liaison to the Standing Committee and I was assigned these duties, I might as well do a good job with them. So I got very engaged uh, in the standing committee during my time as a board member and then continued on. As you mentioned, uh, I was an approval commissioner for a year 
and then was fortunate to come back to the standing committee. So uh, I've been involved now for a few years uh, between the approval commission and the standing committee. They're related bodies, but the standing committee is kind of the policy side and the approval commission is kind of the technical uh, nuts and bolts approval of ABA approved paralegal programs. They work very closely together. They are independent of each other. And uh, in essence, the approval commission is kind of like the trial body and the standing committee is kind of like the appellate body in some ways for uh, paralegal program approval. It's been very eye-opening for me personally. I work for the FAA, as you mentioned. We don't in the uh, government have a lot of paralegal resources available to us. In my office, we have 15 attorneys in headquarters. We have one paralegal. And frankly, we just don't have the uh, manpower to effectively utilize our paralegal because whenever we need something, her time is stretched so thin amongst 15 attorneys. So frankly, I haven't gotten to see as an attorney in my day-to-day job how paralegals can effectively be used and improve the profession. And so it's been interesting for me to see from my ABA involvement and from the standing committee, all the great work that paralegals do and can do and how we can move the legal profession forward through adequately, appropriately training and using paralegals and uh, appropriately training lawyers to know how to use paralegals effectively as well. Yes. Um, and I'll tell you what, if the government gets any extra money, I'm going to say right off that anybody listening to this needs uh, to apply because Chris needs a paralegal. <laughs> it's true. It's true. We'll, we'll take you. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, those are all those are all um, great points. And like you said, I'm very impressed, too, that when you're uh, as young attorneys, um, we see it actually in the I'm in the law office, the private practice. But, you know, some of the young attorneys, they're more receptive. And like you said, you just thought it was your duty. You signed up to do it. So you went to the meeting. That's the same as these young attorneys. They'll, you know, you kind of as as seasoned paralegals, we can, you know, they'll listen to us and they'll they'll let us kind of, you know, help them out and give them some tips. And you know, I think in the long run, just as I'm sure you'll agree, it helps out. It just makes you look better, you know, yeah. and as it makes the associates look better to the partners, you know. And that's all we're all going for, you know, working as a team and you know doing the best we can um, for our clients or you know whatever our our um, clientele in that situation would be. So anyway, but yeah, I want to get you a paralegal. Um, so Chris, on, on to the next thing, just so we can kind of get a basic understanding before we get into the nuts and bolts. So can you please explain, we have the duties, the purpose, and the history of the ABA standing committees on paralegals, because I think it's important for our listeners to understand the basic of that committee before they, you know, kind of delve into what exactly that they did um, that's going to possibly, you know, very definitely impact our profession. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the ABA as a whole has been about has been around for about 140 years, um, give or take a year. And uh, in that time, we've seen great change in the legal profession and uh, in how um, lawyer models exist and uh, quasi lawyer models exist. And um, as technology has developed, as the profession has developed. Um, the ABA has in time realized that there need to be other structures in place in the legal profession to support adequate uh, delivery of legal services, right? And so in uh, 1968, the ABA initially approved a report by the what was called the Special Committee on Availability of Legal Services. It's a mm. mouthful. Mouthful, yes. Um, <laughs> which uh, recognized that there was a, a critical problem facing the legal profession 
uh, in the inability of the bar to meet the greatly expanded needs for legal services. People were starting to become more aware of the need to involve a lawyer in their day-to-day legal issues. And there was a a great gap in uh, what the bar was able to actually provide. Kind of sounds like today, doesn't it? Uh, We have a a huge access to justice gap still today. But we're talking about uh, now 50 years ago, the ABA first approved this report recognizing this uh, critical failure. So they uh, looked at the legal profession as a whole and recognized that there are many tasks in serving a client's needs, which can be performed by what they called a trained non-lawyer and that the profession should encourage the training and employment of such assistants. So this was 1968. The ABA created what at the time was called the Special Committee on Lay Assistance for Lawyers. So this is previous to the terminology paralegal. This is previous to the terminology legal assistant. Mm-hmm. Um, you have lay assistance for lawyers. And so uh, that's, uh, that group was charged with promoting non-lawyer employees in legal employment and to develop initiatives to promote cost-effective methods to develop uh, and deliver legal services. It's been kicking around since that time. It was changed to a special committee on legal assistance in 1971. And then in the early 1970s, the ABA started uh, approving paralegal programs. It's a voluntary approval process for paralegal education, unlike for uh, law school legal education, which is, uh, in essence, a, a mandatory accreditation process. Right. Paralegal programs, it's, it's, a, it's voluntary for the ABA to be involved. It's a, a stamp of approval that says that a school meets the mark of the ABA's voluntary guidelines. The ABA first started doing that in the early 1970s, around the same time as this committee is coming about, and uh, in 1971, only 11 programs existed to train legal assistants. You had the first nine programs approved by the ABA in 1975. And then around that same time, uh, the ABA gave a permanent status to this committee on um, legal assistance. And uh, it stayed that way by and large until today. The only change was from the Standing Committee on Legal Assistance, that group that came about in 1975 was it was changed to the Standing Committee on Paralegals, as it is now, in 2003. So that's, that's kind of my long-winded explanation of the, of the Standing Committee on Paralegals. It's important to kind of understand where, where this concept came about. And you know, as the profession stood up the concept of paralegal, the ABA was you know, right there, lockstep, trying to uh, figure out how the bar can, as the whole, push for use of paralegals as well. Yeah, and I think that's very interesting because I don't know if some of the paralegals and our, you know, and our listeners, our legal professionals would be aware that it has that much history, you know, and it goes back that far. That's very, it's very interesting. And to me, I always like to hear things like that because I like anything that demonstrates the commitment that, you know, the attorneys, the the legal community is acknowledging paralegals. I mean, you know, obviously we want to be acknowledged. We want to be a valuable contributor to the team. And so I like anything like that, that they had the um, vision, you know, so many years ago to know that they were going to be important and it was going to be useful. And obviously where you were talking about, you know, tasks to free up the attorney's time, that's basically, to me, computes into nowadays having being more efficient for the client. 
You know, and that's why I think that's why our profession is um, projected to grow over the next few years, because I think the more that the uh, clients understand that, you know, I can spend an hour on it so you can spend, you know, only maybe a half hour on it, you know, that's a benefit to them. And so I, th- I always like to hear things like that. So I appreciate that, that long um, history, but I think it needs to be said. So before we um, get into our first topic of discussion, I believe there's another little part that you've touched on a little bit to explain to our listeners about the approval commission. Yeah, so there are kind of these two different bodies. They're, they're related and they fall under the same staffing and uh, division at the ABA. But there's the Standing Committee on Paralegals, which I mentioned, and then there's the approval commission, um, which is more of the, the technical in the weeds body that goes and approves programs that are seeking ABA approval. Uh, So it's a group of 13 uh, approval commissioners who um, will chair site visits of schools that are seeking ABA approval or reapproval. Initial approval uh, is a more arduous process. And so uh, a site chair and another visitor will come out to a program, uh, meet with students, review curriculum, meet with faculty uh, and ascertain whether a program who is up for approval for the first time meets the ABA's guidelines. And it's quite an interesting process. I've gotten to do a few myself, and you really get to, to get a good sense of how the ABA is playing a role in the positive education of students and, and uh, ensuring that there is really quality education going on. You know, you had mentioned the the if any of the listeners are are interested in uh, a government job, one of the things I, I found out recently, and I didn't know this, is that a lot of state government agencies actually uh, want an ABA approved education for paralegals. They actually require uh, that a paralegal have attended an ABA approved program, which that was new information to me. So it, it kind of shows that beyond just the ABA thinking that our approval is great. Other entities out there, other governments out there are looking for this ABA mark of approval as well. So that's the work of the approval commission. They're going out to these schools and ascertaining whether a school is meeting that that quality threshold, making recommendations to the standing committee, and then we are approving or disapproving or seeking further information from the approval commission and the schools themselves. Okay. Yeah, um, like I said, I went to an ABA accredited school, and so, and I always feel like it's just kind of a feather in the cap type thing. Um, And, you know, a lot of times, like our local affiliate, we used to give a scholarship, and it was to the, you know, ABA accredited program, you know, students. I mean, we kind of, so there's a little, I think there's a lot of things. I think you're correct. It, it definitely um, is that extra little acknowledgement that you can, that you can achieve in a program like that. Yeah. So Chris, before we move on to our next point of discussion, we need to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Legal Inc. Legal Inc. is empowering paralegals to embrace their inner legal rock star by automating the everyday tasks that hold them back. Through their free dashboard solution, paralegals can quickly and easily automate services like business formations, corporate filings, registered agent services, and more. Visit LegalInc.com to create a free account and check out LegalInc.com forward slash podcast for a chance to win Legal Rockstar swag. This episode of The Paralegal Voice is brought to you by CourtFiling.net, your solution for electronic filing in California, Illinois, Indiana, and Texas. 
CoreFiling.net provides a better e-filing experience so you can spend more time helping clients. Because we know that work sometimes happens after hours, CoreFiling.net offers 24-7 phone, email, and chat support. Visit us at CoreFiling.net to receive 30 days of unlimited free electronic filings and see how you too can e-file court documents with ease. And we're back with Chris Jennison, and we were, are going to continue our conversation about um, some hot topics with the ABA Standing Committee, um, that they have some things um, coming up for vote in February 2020. And just to continue, Chris, we were talking about the Approval Commission, and I believe that NALA has a seat um, a representative on that Approval Commission and has so for many years. Um, and I think also that traditionally sometimes I think through the years, um, I've been involved in, uh, on the board of NALA for about, I think it's going on about 12 years now. And sometimes that seat um, is traditionally filled by a past president. And also the current president of NALA then appoints that person. And I think the ABA, the, the commission likes us to get somebody that can be in there for about three years, because I think you don't want to teach them, you know, the ropes, so to speak, to go out and do the approvals, and then you got to get somebody new um, in there. So, I just wanted to say, watch out, because you may be seeing me in the future. So this is maybe your warning. <laughs> no, that sounds good. Yeah, generally, our, our terms for the approval commission are uh, three years. Same thing for the standing committee. I will say for, for anyone who's listening who's interested in our work overall, especially as we talk through this uh, podcast, we are always seeking site chairs and site participants as well. Um, so if you're at all interested in going out to a, an ABA-approved program or a school that might be up for ABA approval, Check out uh, our website at theamericanbar.org and send an email to our staff. We are always looking for people to go out and check out these programs. And it's a great way to start to get involved. Uh, even if you don't have that, that opportunity to, to get an approval commission seat right away, you can still get involved, go on these site visits, and then you're kind of teed up for a, a uh, paralegal seat when it comes up on the, on the approval commission as well. Yes, thank you. I'm sure, like I said, I know a couple people also that are educators that serve um, on that board. And it's just kind of, it's kind of another neat um, connection to have. And like you said, learning, whether you're new or whether you're in the, you know, in the position to do it, it, it does create another um, learning you know, experience that you can get just more about the profession. And like you said, if you, um, you know, you're interested, if you, especially if you're an educator, it's kind of interesting to go to other programs and, yeah. you know, get and meet and, and, you know, build relationships and things that can only, you know, help your program. I know, like I said, of a couple educators that really, uh, I know, get a benefit out by serving on, on the commission. So it's definitely a good thing to look into. You know, you do get uh, to see the variety of programs, you know, unlike for legal education, I know this is changing some now in legal education. Uh, law school education, but unlike traditional law school where it's three years of legal education, ABA approved paralegal programs can take a variety of formats. Mm -hmm. And so uh, by going out to a few different sites, you get to see kind of the, the vast variety in schools um, and how they are seeking to educate their students while also still meeting that ABA threshold. You know, one thing that you said, Jill, I, I just want to also reiterate too is um, while we have the uh, a couple of constituent seats for paralegals on the approval commission, right now the standing committee is seven people and it's all attorneys. And one of the things that I'm working with our staff to do is pursue a change to that so that we can have a paralegal voice on that standing committee as well. So, you know, I mentioned earlier, it's kind of the policy body more so than the technical side of the approval commission. 
But I think it's very important that for any group that is being regulated or any kind of uh, policymaking body, that they also have a voice of those people who are being regulated, who are, are being overseen as well, so that there's that representation there. So stay tuned. We might have a, a paralegal seat on the standing committee coming up in, in the next year or two as well. I love to hear that because I was going to say when I first, uh, I mean, obviously it's been a few years, but I, when I looked into the standing committee and was trying to see all the, how it worked and everything, I was surprised that there wasn't one seat. And what I compared that to is like, for instance, the uh, local bar association, you know, we had our state bar association, you know, the mandatory bar, we ha- had a paralegal seat. And, you know, and so it's like it, it was because they had a paralegal division, the paralegals to join. So it was just that voice on the board to just kind of provide, you know, different things. And I always I actually occupied that seat. Surprise, surprise. At one time locally in the West Virginia bar and or actually it was Defense Trial Council of West Virginia. And it's like, you know, it's like it really I joke with them that I was always there to keep them organized and keep them on task. And, yeah. you know, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But but really, it does. They need that. They need that firsthand knowledge, I think, of the profession sometimes, especially to make the decisions that you're speaking about. Absolutely. Absolutely. So before we get one more thing, before we get into the real heart of things um, that we're, we're talking about today, can you just give a little background on the ABA definition of uh, legal assistant paralegal history? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the ABA uh, as a whole loves policies, loves definitions, and uh, I'm I'm honored to sit in the House of Delegates, which is the policymaking arm of the ABA. It's really a, a special body. It's very cool to sit in. Uh, there are representatives from state and local and national affiliate bar associations from across the country, uh, everything from uh, a county bar association to a, a national judicial group to um, every kind of constituent organization you can think of. It's uh, about 700 attorneys that convene twice a year uh, for this house. Um, in August, uh, it's a two-day meeting, and then in February, it's a one-day uh, meeting. And we go through the uh, various policies that have been, been proposed. Back in 1985, this body uh, adopted a definition of paralegal. So Remember, that's about 10 years after the ABA first started approving paralegal programs. It's before or right around the time that the ABA is kind of switching from lay assistance to legal assistance to paralegal. Um, So there's this changing uh, terminology at the time. The ABA adopted in 1985 this definition. It's a person qualified through education, training, or work experience who is employed or retained by a lawyer law office, governmental agency, or other entity in a capacity or function which involves the performance under the ultimate direction and supervision of an attorney of specifically delegated substantive legal work, which work for the most part requires a sufficient knowledge of legal concepts that absent such assistant, the attorney would perform the task. So that is even more so of a mouthful. Um, That's that's a a very long definition. You could definitely tell attorneys are writing this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, what it it boils down to, though, right, is you got a person who is qualified through one of three ways, either education, training, or or work experience. So it's not just education from an ADA-approved program, although we absolutely encourage and support that, uh, who is employed by a lawyer, overseen by a lawyer, and is performing work that uh, requires significant, sufficient knowledge of legal concepts, that absent the attorney's involvement, the attorney would perform uh, themselves. So, you know, I I think it's a big step forward that in 1985, when 
paralegal concepts are really just coming around that the ABA adopted this definition. It was amended in 1997 to, to be a little bit smoother, but I'm not going to read the definition because, <laughs> frankly, it, it's, it's almost just as long. But it boils down to the same thing, right? It's, it's a legal assistant or paralegal qualified by one of those three ways, education, training, or work experience, who is performing specifically delegated substantive legal work for which a lawyer is responsible. So that was the definition that's, that was adopted in 1997, and it stood until now in 2019. Um, so, you know, I think it's uh, interesting that the ABA adopted this and, and why it matters is not just that the ABA adopted this and that we are kind of talking to ourselves or talking into the void. We're hoping that by adopting this definition in the House that people will give it credence or will we'll put any faith into it. Where it becomes interesting is that many states adopt this definition as well. Many other organizations do- adopt this definition as well. And so the ABA really has a lot of weight given to it for the definition that is adopted. It's codified into statutes and uh, it's codified into regulation of paralegals by states. And it's very important that the definition that the ABA adopts is what actually reflects what paralegals are doing and, and should be doing and what we hope them to be doing uh, in order for paralegals to really fill an important uh, role in the legal profession. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely agree with you. I know that, like I said, I, I was just entering the paralegal profession. And uh, like I said, locally, the West Virginia State Bar adopted um, the, de- the ABA definition of a paralegal. And it was an exciting time because, you know, again, paralegals appreciated that recognition, you know, that we were kind of being taken seriously and included as part of the legal team. So now what we've all been waiting for in this in this show, the suspense. So we're going to talk a little bit about why the ABA is considering removing the term legal assistant um, from the definition. And, of course, just kind of like a timeline of events that um, is leading up to the February uh, 2020 vote, I believe it is. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the ABA and the ABA Standing Committee really are constituent organizations, right? We, we reflect and we want to reflect what our constituencies care about, what they are interested in. And uh, the standing committee has a meeting in the fall, in October generally, and then in uh, the spring, generally in March or April. And we received a letter in July 2018 from the National Federation of Paralegal Associations, NFPA, and unfortunately, given the timing, the next time that we were able to address the letter that we, we received was in October of 2018. So this letter that NFPA sent in July 2018 that we were addressing in October 2018 uh, asked us to look at this definition that was adopted in 1997 and consider uh, modifying the, the definition. Not big changes in the definition as a whole, but as you'll recall, I, one of the things I just read off is that a paralegal or a legal assistant is a person qualified by education, training, or work experience. Yep. So the definition of paralegal, A, it already says, in, in the definition of paralegal, a paralegal is, which is kind of a weird wording. But at the beginning of that definition, they also included the, the concept of legal assistant. So they're putting, the ABA is putting in this definition, a legal assistant on the same footing as paralegal, which NFPA was uh, asking us to consider changing. What they said is that there are, while while geographically terminology may vary, and while responsibilities may change in any given organization, the uh, substantive legal work that uh, is being performed 
is really that of a paralegal, uh, that the work that is being performed by legal assistance in many cases has really become more akin to legal secretary or even secretary rather than to paralegal, to somebody who is performing that specifically delegated substantive legal work that uh, would be performed by an attorney absent the paralegal's involvement. And so NFDA was asking that paralegals and legal assistance be recognized as two separate and distinct classifications of non-lawyer legal professionals and should be defined individually. So I just want to point out that nuance there. They're asking for us to essentially define both paralegal and legal assistant. We have not gone or we are not going to the step of defining legal assistant, but we are going to the step that they asked for of defining paralegal by removing legal assistant from the definition of paralegal. So we met in the October uh, 2018 meeting and considered the the uh, definition, the proposal that uh, NFPA put forward as to the definition and decided that we didn't have enough information at play. And so we wanted to, again, survey our constituents we sent a survey out to uh, approved program directors, to constituent organizations. Ultimately, we got a survey response back of just north of 1,700 respondents. And I think the key thing here, so this is uh, nationwide. We looked at the, the geography of the respondents. It was not a scientific study. But uh, looking at the respondents overall, the key stat to take away is that for non-attorney legal professionals performing substantive legal work under supervision of licensed attorneys. The term for that was paralegal for 65% of respondents, was 25% uh, legal assistant, was 8% legal secretary. So you're looking at nearly two-thirds of respondents of a decent-sized response pool saying that the appropriate terminology for those professionals should be paralegal. And so I think that's really what kind of pushed us over the edge. We continued to debate it. We talked to more constituents. And over the summer uh, of this past summer, we decided as a standing committee to go ahead and introduce a resolution to the ABA's House of Delegates, uh, modifying the ABA definition to pull out that uh, legal assistant section of the paralegal definition. So since it was uh, a definition that was approved back in 1997 by the House of Delegates, mm. it has to again be approved by the House of Delegates. And so the next time that the House meets is in February 2020. We have submitted that resolution. It has been calendared. And uh, we will see on February 17th, 2020, uh, what the outcome of that vote is. Well, I'll tell you what, that's that's very interesting. It's interesting to me um, because, like I said, it's been my experience traveling around, obviously, in my capacities as NALA president, but even before in the other offices where I visit NALA affiliates, you know, in all different areas of the country, like you were saying, you know, like you were saying you your survey was, it's like some say that obviously paralegal and legal assistant were used you know, as synonyms, like same thing, like say attorney and Esquire. But then, right. you know, in some areas of the country, you have it to where they use paralegal because then there's absolutely no question, you know, what I'm doing, like what and what you are. And yeah. and because then you don't have legal secretaries calling themselves legal assistant. Right. But right. like to me, that's the problem that we've encountered. And it sounded like to me a little bit and I could be wrong that you were saying it's actually possibly like because you said you're not going to define the term, you know, paralegal, legal assistant 
and legal secretary. You yeah. know, use, really looking them as three separate things where, like I said, it's been my experience that there's confusion between the two. And like I said, in my area, like here, we have no problem with it. But I, like I said, you have a very, very valid point because in some areas, and I think it's been my experience, it's in states that have their own certification. Yeah. That it's more of, you know, because obviously the attorneys are more um, in tune with that. They know there's a state certification. They know possibly maybe their requirements, maybe they're requiring, you know, them to be certified, you know, have the state certification to be employed. You know, so they're all kind of like, I think, more in tune with all that. And so they acknowledge, you know, that they want a paralegal, not a legal assistant, not a legal secretary. Yeah. And I think I'd be curious to hear what you think and and, uh, what your members think. I'd hazard a guess as well that some legal employers will call paralegals legal assistants or even legal secretaries, giving them paralegal work, but giving them that quote unquote lesser title so that they can compensate them less as well. Uh, I I think that's probably a a very real concern and and very real reality um, in uh, uh, paralegal professionals as well. Yes, I agree with that. And actually, when you were talking about how Nala feels and 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 how the members, I mean, we have not um, obviously surveyed our members about it because li- literally it's been debated. I, like I said, I entered the field in nine, 1997 and it's been debated and, and debated over and over again. But, you know, Nala does take the position that, um, you know, because obviously we're NALA, National Association of Legal Assistants, but then we say the Paralegal Association. And so we tr- we we have treated those as synonymous over the years. And that's right. still our position. But, you know, we're taking direction. We're watching it. The board of directors is very, um, you know, we're monitoring it because it's important. And we know there's going to have a trickle down effect, you know, and we don't want. And then again, you don't want that person that's in, you know, some area of the country that's a legal assistant. They're doing substantive work they're getting compensated fine you know to their to their liking and the employer's happy you know both ways and then you know they feel like their professional association is you know going a different direction you know and so like i said somebody asked us one day if we're going to change our name to napa (laughs) and i was like i think that's already taken by by somebody we do not want to be known as that so you know i i think that's where we're at right now but like i said definitely i know our you know we've we've received comments we've received questions we're definitely you know monitoring and it's great to see the thought and the research and the time that has gone into this. Because again, that no, that means that is important to you. It's important to the ABA. It's important to the profession. And that's obviously, you know, what we all want. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So Chris, before we go on to um, our next question, we need to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. NILA members receive exclusive content such as the Paralegal Utilization and Compensation Survey Report, access to a members-only collaboration site, discounts on office products and car rental, access and preferred placement on a web platform for paralegal contract jobs, and access to the member-only Career Center. NILA members also receive discounted education products. Join NILA today and become part of our community. Learn more at NALA.org. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. 
ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry, connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. Welcome back to the Paralegal Voice. I'm Jill Francisco, and my guest today is Chris Jennison, attorney and chair of the ABA Standing Committee on Paralegals. And we were just wrapping up discussing the debate and the possibility of changing the definition, the ABA definition of a paralegal, removing the term legal assistant. So I want to kind of move on to another kind of twist on this um, and get Chris's thoughts on the approval commission's changes to the guidelines for the approval of paralegal education programs where there are the proposal. I think it goes in effect. Is this right, Chris? 1-1-2020? Yes, that's correct. To allow the the ABA accredited programs to utilize online um, or video classes in their uh, curriculum. Yeah. So uh, the approval commission came forward with this proposal to the standing committee, actually at our our last meeting, which was time has uh, kind of shifted lately, but I want to say late October of this year. And the proposal was to change what had been in place in our guidelines to provide more flexibility for ABA-approved programs. What had been in place in our guidelines is that a school could uh, video transmit a class synchronously to other campuses. So if you have a, a campus in City A, and you have students at remote uh, campuses in cities B and C, the school in city A could transmit that class live to B and C with students coming into the campus in B and C. Um, Where this played out, so for example, I went to uh, one of the site visits I went to was Western Kentucky University uh, almost two years ago, and and they have a couple of campuses throughout their region, but the, the campuses can uh, be separated by some significant driving time. You know, we're talking an hour, an hour and a half between some of the campuses. And so a student coming into even one of the remote campuses might be driving a a significant distance just to come into class, to dial into a, a classroom that is actually live, the instructor is live, two hours away from the classroom the student is in. Uh, it was really a, a eye-opening experience for me to go see the synchronous video instruction at a remote campus. And that's not really how legal education is trending. It's not really how education is trending. We are looking at a, a time of uh, increasing technology change, increasing education change. And we want to make sure that we have the flexibility, that we're giving our programs the flexibility to uh, be able to offer education to students where they are, when they are. And um, one of the things that I think is is very telling about this is that the guidelines, while they're rigid, the legal education um, accreditation standards for law schools are extremely rigid. And that being said, uh, I had read recently uh, that the uh, managing director for legal education for the ABA, a gentleman named Barry Courier, estimates that within five years, five years, the ABA is going to allow a fully online program for law school legal education. I think that's incredibly telling because legal education hasn't changed in 100 100 plus years. 
And so if you're going to allow law school education to be fully online, we should also be talking about flexibility in paralegal education as well. What we have gone to do, what the Approval Commission has suggested to us, what we've allowed, and it will be in place for uh, January 1st, 2020, is that a school can transmit their uh, live classes synchronously to where the student is. So I could be in my uh, home uh, kitchen taking a class live that's offered at my local ABA-approved paralegal program. That flexibility wasn't there before. I would have had to have gone into a... A classroom. So I've got a I've got a nine month old daughter. Uh, if I had to go into the classroom, I would need a caretaker. Um, even if my daughter was was asleep, for example. Whereas here, I get the flexibility. I can come home. I can have the flexibility to do in my office. Uh, and that flexibility really allows paralegal programs to thrive and have the flexibility to reach students where they are. It allows the students to be able to to advance themselves and take that education in the circumstances that best work for them without having to go and commute. The technology is is outstanding to do things like Zoom or uh, Blackboard or, you know, there are a lot of synchronous video tools where uh, a instructor can really have live, real-time, effective engagement with students. The one thing I, I will say is we discussed, although we're not seriously considering, a, a change to allow asynchronous education as well. And the reason we were discussing that is there are a lot of education programs online where asynchronous education is allowed. What I mean by that is that the instructor isn't live. The instructor may be recorded or it may be an online discussion or uh, things of that nature, but you don't have to dial in at a certain time. And we at this time didn't want to go down that route because we still wanted the real-time live engagement among students and instructors to be able to have that that real discussion, to have that real engagement element there. So I'm, I'm very excited with this. Um, you know, I, I do think that it's going to allow more programs that have previously considered or previously offered uh, synchronous video online education to a student's own location, home office, whatever it might be. And because of that offering, they couldn't be ABA approved. I think that a lot of programs that, that may have had that, uh, that existence before may now seek ABA approval, which is, is very exciting for us. Yes, and I, I'll tell you what, I love that idea. And I'll, I'll tell you, you know, I'm sure you've heard, because obviously it's a concern. I mean, if you, I'm, I love the profession, I'm in the profession. And, you know, there's some concern about, you know, um, the school's enrollment, like the paralegal program's enrollment going down. And you have to, you have to seriously consider that part of it could be because of situations like you were describing, you know, that they can't be in class at a certain time at a certain place every single every single week, you know, because they have to work, they have family obligations at home, they, you know, it's hard to get their time, you know, there's so many things. And now so many other professions, and there's on there's total online paralegal programs. And, you know, so people are picking those paraleg- paralegal programs, as opposed to the ABA accredited program that may even be local and, you know, is a great program and obviously has that feather in its cap, but they can't choose that because that's, that option's not there for them. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's telling to us on some level, and, and we want to make sure as an ABA that we are um, making sure that there's quality education in those programs that we are putting our stamp of approval on. But I think it's telling that when you look at the 1975 stats, when it was I forget what I said earlier in the episode, but uh, 11 schools or something like that yeah, had the ABA 11. approved nine of them at, at that time. Um, you know, that's a huge chunk that are ABA approved. 
if you look at now, there are north of 1,200 paralegal programs across the country, and there are 262 paralegal programs that are ABA approved. So that's, right. you know, like a, a 22% of them are, are ABA approved. And we want to make sure that we can boost that number while also still maintaining our standards. And I think this this meets that. Yeah. And I want to just tell you, like I said, I hope you're correct about this change and motivating more paralegal programs to seek the ABA approval, because I think the ABA approval is very important. And I think nowadays it's very important that you take advantage of every single thing you can to stand out. And I mean, obviously, one of those being taking your education through an ABA accredited program. Uh, Many years ago, and I'm not going to tell you how many years ago, I attended Marsh University in Huntington, West Virginia, where I earned a bachelor's degree in criminal justice with a concentration in legal studies. I'm originally from Pennsylvania, and what attracted me to Marsh University was their paralegal program um, because it was in connection with the Marshall University Community Technical College at that time, and of course, it was ABA accredited. Now, you know, I look back on it now and think, what, as a high school student, why did I even care about that? Why did that even matter to me? But I guess it just sounded better. You know how you get those initials and you, you get that thing, and accredited is a strong you know, word. And so, you know, what happened is in 2008, West Virginia decided that community colleges and state colleges should be separated into different, you know, institutions. So that's why the Marshall Community College became Mount West Community College, uh, Community and Technical College. And, you know, it's funny because I feel this whole thing has come full circle for me because now I'm on the advisory board at the Mount West Community College and, you know, helping the, you know, helping the paralegal program, being the public member, being the, because of my national involvement in the association. And, you know, when I became president, reaching out, doing school outreach, getting, you know, getting to the students, getting to the programs was really one of my passions. And, you know, Nala, we have um, surveyed the paralegal program directors because we want to do more, you know, for them and we want to give them whatever they need. And, you know, because obviously if you like the profession, that's what you got to do. It starts with the students. You know, you don't want them to drop them out. You want them to get them interested to get in, you know. And, um, and so, and I do think definitely that the ABA accredited programs is is definitely a feather in the cap. And I really hope you're correct that this does really let, like you said, programs that were hindered before that maybe wanted to, um, you know, seek accreditation by the ABA, but just couldn't because they offer online programs. And, you know, they probably can't afford not to offer the online programs that would dwindle, you know, their their attendance and their enrollment, you know, too severely. So I really hope that's the way it goes, because I do think it's important. Time will tell, but um, I, I, I think it'll bear out that way. I, I really do think that that more schools will seek that ABA approval. You know, I, I, when, you, when you're talking about um, what did you as a high schooler see in the ABA accreditation or ABA approval, I think, you know, this is something that we grapple with a lot uh, as the ABA as a whole. Um, with the attorney side, too, is, well, what is the mark of the ABA? And I think the mark of the ABA, whether we're talking about for lawyers or for paralegals, is that it is a group that is standing for the profession as a whole. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that, that that ABA approval mark really bears a ton of, it carries a ton of weight with it. And it, it, it carries the whole reputation of the ABA with it, which I think is huge. And, and I'm really hopeful that a lot of programs will put that weight behind them and seek that ABA approval. Well, that's all the time we have today for this episode. And Chris, thank you so very much for being my inaugural guest on today's show. You discussed a lot of valuable information that our listeners may want to learn more about. So what is the best way that they could get in contact with you? 
Yeah, I'd love to hear from anyone. Uh, my Twitter is uh, at Chris Jennison, J-E-N-N-I-S-O-N. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn and Facebook, and uh, my email is chris.s.jennison at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from anyone. I'm happy to provide any more information. You can also see uh, my information uh, on the ABA's website as well, on the Standing Committee on Paralegals page. But uh, happy to hear from anyone. And again, thank you, Chris, so much for joining me today. Yeah, it's been great talking to you. If you have any questions or comments for me, please contact me at jfrancisco at logical.com. Also, thank you to all the listeners who joined us today, and I hope you will plan to join me for my episode next month on The Paralegal Voice. I'm Jill Francisco, signing off. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, or subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.